Right, Gary? Right. My, my name is Mike Schmidt, as you just heard. With me, as usual, is Gary uh, Gary Jones. How are you doing, Gary? I'm doing okay this morning, Great. Mike. We're, we're really glad that, that we can both be here on the show. And I'm going to give you the numbers for the show in just a moment, since it is a live call-in show. Before you go to that, Mike, I want to explain. The reason we give you Bible answers is because of what Jesus says. He says in John 12:48, the word that I have spoken will judge you in the last day, or will judge him in the last day. Correct. And that's the reason why Bible answers are so important. Yes, because that's the that's the only way we had to know what whether something's right or wrong and which way to think about things. Right, it gives us that world that world view. So we're going to try to point you to the scriptures, and you know you're going to be obviously be free to take a look at those yourself. That's the idea. It doesn't mean that whatever I think about it, whatever you think about it, is correct because people tend to confuse having a right to believe something with being right to believe once something. they believe it. And that's, those two things aren't the same. But we're just Christian, we are just Christians as a show about looking at the scriptures in a modern context in that way. So let me give you the numbers, and we'll tell you a little bit more about the show. You can reach the show live at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number uh, where you can reach us. You'll be patched right through to us. Now, I'll give you a couple warnings about that since we are on a delay. It's a live show. We have to be on a delay. Uh, you, we're going to have to try to not talk over the top of each other. Sometimes it's tricky. Secondly, if you're going to listen to the show on the radio or on your computer while we're, you're talking, turn it way down because that delay will confuse you and it will also uh, cause a feedback that will happen. And that will cause everybody a problem. So we'd like to be able to hear you. And please speak up when you do call Gary and I are both old guys, and you know, so sometimes our hearing isn't the best. So we'll we'll work our way through that. Particularly we mine. When, when you call, well, yeah, um, when you call in, well, his is worse only because I have hearing aids. <laughs> I don't know if it's actually worse, but in any event, uh, it's funny how quiet the world gets in the evening when I take out these hearing aids. Well, then the ringing starts, so that doesn't help. But in any event, uh, uh, we'd be glad to talk with you this morning if you'd like to. Get a uh, uh, get your word in here seven seven two two three four zero fifteen nine. Now you can also reach us by text message. You can reach me, Mike Schmidt, at seven seven two two six zero six two two zero seven seven two two six zero six. Oh, I did it all wrong, Gary. <laughs> Scratch that. You can reach Gary at. Seven seven two two six zero six two two zero. That's Gary's number. My number is very very similar, kind of an accident. But seven seven two two six zero six one two zero. See, we got these. Apparently, we got these uh, cell numbers twenty five years ago or so, twenty some <laughs> years ago from Nextel at about the same time, and uh, they apparently were so close. We got we're just ten digits off. I don't. I think that's what happened. So. We've kept the numbers all the time. In fact, I think it should be against the law for you to be able to change your email or your telephone number. Right. Because people do that all the time, and I can never get a hold of them. They blame me for not being able to get a hold of them, but they've changed their number three times. But anyway, the closeness of the telephone numbers was not planned. It was just It's happened. just, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, well, we're not that smart, so we can't plan it out like that. You know. 
So, uh, and then, you know, some people gear, like, with cell phones, they're like, you know, if the battery dies, they get a new cell phone. Like, some people, if the ashtray would get full years ago, they get a new car, you know, because the ashtray was full. Some people are like that about cell phones. But anyway. No, I got a new battery for my cell phone. A new battery, yeah. <laughs> we'd, we'd love to hear from you today, uh, 772-340-1590. And we get texts uh, as well, and as well as letters. And we really appreciate that. Uh, we'll try to try to deal with a couple of those things here this morning on the show. Uh, we are just Christians. You know, there's a. Uh, I'm going to preach about all men are created equal this morning, Gary. But there's another couple other big topics running around. I, I guess we can't really uh, dig into. Um, too much, too much. I don't want to deal with too much of that this morning unless somebody wants to call in about it. But there's a couple other things that come up, and when when all this uh, pandemic started here, whatever we're going to call it, a few months ago, uh, it, it just got everybody so discombobulated, and now we're off on another whole subject of racism and police brutality and violence and all of that. And uh, all the differences, it, it just exacerbates whatever tensions exist in society because it doesn't seem like we can ever come to any kind of fundamental agreement about almost any principle that there is uh, in, in the United States today. I think some of that's been planned for 50 years. But uh, <laughs> that's, the way it's all, that's the way it is. We have to deal with that on what it is. But there comes this feeling with a lot of people, and I hear this from Christians too. Maybe you and I are on the outside of this, Gary, and I don't even know if we 100% agree about it. And that's the issue of, you know, the end of time or the end times, as they say, or in Christian circles or in intellectual circles, it's called eschatology. Eschatosis, the Greek word for last. Study, and so the study studying of the, the end times. The last times or the end of times. And so I ran across a couple of interesting things. I, I, I got all this stuff in my files, but then I run across new stuff that I read. It kind of gives it a little, uh, makes it a little more current. Here's one from May 11th. Every generation of Christians thinks it might be the last. You know what? I've been saying that for a long time, that this is the attitude that people have. Uh, I've been around, I've been dealing with Christian things in, as an adult, you know, for 50 years almost. And so it's not like I have some brand new perspective from a couple of years ago about this. But I see people that have a perspective just a few years. This is the worst time that's ever been. This is the worst things which ever men, men, people have ever endured. They have the worst life of anybody that's ever lived. And certainly this is the end of time because things are so bad. My perspective is a little different than that. Plus historically, not only in my lifetime, but just having studied and read about history in general or religious history. I know that this idea that this generation of Christians is the last generation has been around for about over a thousand years. And so, it now, eventually it will be the last. You know, it's like what's on the, uh, you know, I heard about it, the uh, tombstone of a hypochondriac. And it said, I told you I was sick. That was her epitaph. <laughs> yeah, so eventually, yes, eventually the last generation will be the last generation, right? Yes. But but I don't know if they're going to know it. <laughs> That's the interesting thing. I don't really think the Bible says they're going to know 
that they're the last generation or not. They, they might be because it's hard to know it when it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye, uh, as the Bible says. But, um, you know, if, if you grew up in the 60s and 70s and 80s, I should say, you, uh, in Christian circles, and it, you, you ran into the most, one of the most popular books that's ever been published by Hal Lindsey, well, published by Hal Lindsey, The Late Great Planet, Planet Earth. Earth. And so many Protestant Christians and even Catholic ones fell into this mode that he was giving a prophetic view of the world that was going to end very soon in the 60s and 70s. And I remember leading up to 1980 or so. This was the, war, the end of time was coming because things were bad economically. Jimmy Carter was president. Things were bad. We had an oil crisis. All these things were leading to the end of the world. And Russia was going to take us over. Communist China was Gog and Magog. I mean, Communist Russia were Gog and Magog, and they were going to overrun Israel and uh, everything. And this was all put forth by supposedly, you know, sound Christians. Then, if you, uh, there's a book. There was a book called "88 Reasons That Jesus Will Return in 1988." That's before some of our listeners were born, Gary. Hopefully, and then that didn't work out so well. So he later released a book called "89 Reasons Jesus Will Return in 1989." I didn't see one after that, so maybe you give it another try one of these days. 2,000, or maybe 20 reasons Jesus returned in 2020. I don't know, but you, you, you see this whole thing going on. In the 1930s, you read Christian literature, even authors and commentaries. You see that Hitler was the beast of the book of Revelation. When I was a kid, the Soviet Union was the beast. Oh, and, and, and Babylon and the dragon and so on. Oh, so oh, and then it became the European Union. Right. Gorbachev came along, had that birthmark on his forehead. Everybody knew he must be had the mark of the beast because he had a birthmark on his forehead. He was the Antichrist. And then you got the Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye yeah. and all that. And I met Tim LaHaye. I ate breakfast with Tim LaHaye one time years ago. He wrote a lot of books on marriage, which, were, which I thought were pretty good at the time, back in the eight, early eight, mid to early 80s. And um, But he later wrote those Left Behind books. I think he kind of got off track. But the fact is, even in our recent history for the last hundred years, every generation of Christians seems to think it's the last generation and um, they're the ones going to see the return of Christ. And this happened in the year 2000 or leading up to the year 2000. I had a written debate with a college, college friend of mine, a colleague of mine, uh, and published in a religious magazine as to whether the world was going to end in the year 2000, which he predicted, based on prophecies in the book of Revelation and some other places. And, of course, that didn't happen. But but people around that time, because of Y2K, they sold their businesses, they sold their homes, they went down on the hillsides, they thought this was the end of the end of time, and, and so forth and so on. Now, that's just a little nugget when you go back to the year 1000 A.D., Gary, you find the same thing happening in the year 1000 A.D. Right. And Paul has to tell them, you know. Well, that's long after Paul. Paul tells people of his day thought it was going to happen yeah. just tomorrow. I think that was in the Thessalonian letters. In the letters. both Thessalonian letters. He's, he's telling, he tells them in the first, first Thessalonians, yes, Christ is coming and here's what it's going to be like. And then he had to warn them in the second letter that that's not going to happen yet. A lot of other things got to happen first. Yeah, because they misunderstood what he was saying and thought they were the last generation, but they weren't going to be the last generation. 
And so we get warned over and over in the Bible about, especially in the New Testament, about believing false prophets, about the end, and, and so forth and so on. Jesus warns about that when he was alive. Now, all of this isn't... Now, when, you say, when I say things like this, and by the way, let me give you the numbers again, 772-26... Oh, I'm starting over again. 772-340-1590. You, you know what happened, Gary? The first time that I gave those numbers today, and in my mind while I was saying them, I started off correctly, and I thought, I patted myself on the back in, in my mind saying, good, you got it right this time. <laughs> and ever since that moment, it's been falling apart. 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the call-in number. If you'd like to text the show, 772-260-6120 or 6220. All right. When you say these, when I say these kind of things, maybe you've had the same experience. Oh, so you don't believe in the second coming, or you don't believe in prophecy? Well, no, that could not be further from the truth. I just, I don't believe that we're going to go to the Bible and find out the the time when the second coming is going to happen. But I believe in the second coming. It's like saying, if since I don't believe that Christmas is Christ's birthday, that I don't believe in the birthday in Christ, or because I don't believe Easter is is uh, the holiday of Easter is the resurrection day that we can know that, that somehow I don't believe in the resurrection. No, those things aren't equivalent at all. So don't go down that road. I, we believe in the second coming, uh, and we have faith and confidence that God's word is true. But I don't believe the Bible gives us a way to predict that and say not only which generation it's going to be, but to tell us especially anything closer than that. So, the, the, but on the other side, of the coin, this is something that distinguishes Christianity from other world religions to a large degree. I'm not so sure about Islam in this matter, but their prophecies have never come true anyway. The Islamic prophecies haven't. But uh, <clears throat> Christianity does believe that time and history have an end point. If you're a naturalist, if you're a secular naturalist, you don't really believe in the end of history except sometime in the nebulous future, a billion years from now, when when the sun goes cold or some other event like that happens, there's no end to it. There's no purpose to it. There's no point to it. It all just kind of, as T.S. Uh, Eliot said, it goes out with a whimper, you know. But Christianity is not like that. Christianity is, doesn't give us a time frame. But it says that there is a purpose in history or an end or a teleos. The history has a purpose, the redemption of man. And when that purpose is fulfilled by God, when God has finally realized or said to himself, this is enough, then it's going to end. And he has still bringing that purpose about. I think he still works in the world today, obviously, to bring about that purpose, the salvation of as many as he can. He's not willing that any should perish, Peter says, but that all should come to repentance. But all of those passages that suggest the end of time, the end of the earth, need to be looked at very, very carefully because they don't often say what people think they say. No, there's a lot of language. And the, and the thing is that the apocalyptic, the nature of the apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature, the yeah. language, can be applied to many different events and right. is applied to different events in the Bible. And so uh, that's why it's difficult to go through and just say, oh, well, this is, this is Gorbachev's uh, forehead birthmark, you know, that kind of thing. So there are some things that we can know, though, about the end and, and about eschatology from the Bible. 
And number one, for example, that Jesus is going to return unexpectedly. If you take Matthew 24 as a prophecy, and it is in a way, it's probably a prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem, Jerusalem. at least the first part of it is for sure, maybe all, all of it. Because if it's the end of time, it doesn't do you much good to run to the hills and, and right. worry about whether you're pregnant or not, right. obviously. But he is going to return unexpectedly. That's why he tells the parable of the, of the wise and foolish virgins in Matthew 25, because they were unprepared for the end. And he's going to return visibly and audibly. It's going to be a trumpet of God that sounded. It's going to become visible to all, apparently, if you believe the prophecies in maybe Revelation 1-7 is possibly one of those. Second Thessalonians, it's going to, going to be, appear that way. He'll gather his people uh, from the living and the dead, and the dead will, he will bring with him, it says, uh, in, First Thess- in Second Thessalonians 2, he'll bring the dead with him. And the living, the, the, one, the, the bodies of the dead will rise from the earth at his coming be reunited with him in the air. He's going to judge the world at the end, 2 Thessalonians 2.8. And by judging, he's going to separate out those who are his followers and those who are not. And they're going to be, not only are they going to be separated out, but then final judgment is going to be passed upon them. Uh, The dead who have already died have been judged by their deeds. They're awaiting the sentence to be carried out. At the end of time, Jesus carries out the sentence of separation. From God that goes along with that. Well, the message I think might be, is continuous throughout, even passages that may have some question about them. I think Second Peter three and ten and following are, you know, we would tend to think that's about the end of the world, but then there are interpretations of this that make it something else. Yet, what's the message? He says in verse eleven, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct? and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. See, this the, the is point the, is being prepared. Yes, this is the whole point of all these teachings about the second coming, which is so often overlooked, and it's kind of maddening to me to listen to intelligent Christian teachers and others miss the main point of passages like Second Peter 3 about the end of the world. The main point is, what manner of persons ought you to be? We're not given that much detail. We're given some information. But the point of the information we're given is not so you and I can speculate about the license number on a bus in Jerusalem we saw the other day or, or Gorbachev's forehead. That's not the point of it. The point is what manner of persons ought you to be. That's why the real theme about this is watch and pray, for you know not the hour when the Lord will come. That's well, the there, point there, that's there being made. two points in Second Peter 3 that we need to not miss. The first one is 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. When you don't expect it, right. and you need to be prepared. That's the real message. You don't know when it's coming. Prepared by being spiritually ready for his coming and exactly. being a follower of Christ, being faithful to him and obedient and, and, and doing his will. Could you not watch for me one hour, Jesus told his disciples? You know, we're to watch and pray. And then it won't matter whether you interpret correctly the rest of the passage or, the, or, or correctly or incorrectly. The message is it's going to come at a time when you don't expect it and you need to be prepared spiritually. That's the whole point. Exactly. And so I just want to make sure that people understand that that uh, don't be carried away by these kind of, I think they're false teachers that go around particularly into the world and they, they've scammed so many people out of so much money over time. And even if it's not money, they've ruined the lives of many people 
with their teachings about the end of the world. And they spend this so much time that could be used to spiritually build up and strengthen and help people to live the right kind of life and to serve the Lord. They spend so much of that time worrying about some detail of prophecy which they cannot know and will not ever know exactly what it means until it's all over. They can figure it out. That's, I think that's why we don't have much information about the end of the world, Gary, because almost all prophecy was meant to be viewed from the other side of it to see that it was fulfilled so we right. can have confidence in God and what he is saying to us. Exactly. As a mentor, we can predict the future and know whether to invest in the stock market or not or pull our money out of the stock market or not because the end of the world is about to come. It isn't there so we can know when to sell our house and when not to sell our house. Those kind of things are complete misuse of Scripture. And, and, and yet you and I are strong believers. Bible prophecy and fulfilled Bible prophecy is one of the strongest arguments for the existence of God and the reliability of the scriptures of any argument. And, and yet the, it's and not used for that purpose. And, in the identity, times. and particularly the identity of Jesus and who he was. Right. It's used for these other purposes to get people worked up over something that's happening in the Middle East or in the United States and so forth and so on. I remember growing up listening to Herbert W. Armstrong, the wonderful world tomorrow and he prophesied he was what he started or at least expanded what was called anglo-israelism that the english countries were really the new israel and the united states was you could therefore you could take all the prophecies about israel and apply them to the united states and great britain in the bible and he had radio stations playing his stuff for all over the United States for years when I was a kid growing well, up. I'll have to confess, Mike, I didn't listen to Herbert Derby. Herbert W. Arm, you never heard of him? Okay. Well, no, I listen I, to radio. Well, the reason is my dad already had enough knowledge of the scriptures. He said, you don't need to be listening to that mess and well, I turned to it, it off. I listened to it because it was what was on the radio when I was a kid. And I was I was always messing with old radios. I listened to some of it, but I knew right away, this is not what the Bible is saying. And I was a kid. But he, he had a lot of following for a while, then it all fell apart. But that, that, he did implant the idea in people's heads, I think. Perhaps he did. I'm no religious historian. That Israel and the United States were somehow synonymous. And today you see this. You have these people reading prophecies directed to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And you have them applying those prophecies to the United States. Well, the United well, States is not in the Bible. Okay. Let me let me ask you a question. So we can learn lessons from that, but we're not in the Bible. This late great planet Earth book, you know, basically verbalized a lot about what we take today call premillennialism uh, in its various forms. When did that originally uh, come up? Do you remember? I think it was the late nineteenth century. Well, it became a up? popular doctrine in the late eighteen hundreds. Yes, nineteenth century. Okay. And, and became real popular at when the Zionist movement in the 1870s took hold, and then on up into 1914, World War One, and so forth, became more popular. And, but, it, and it became popular with many of the denomination, Christian denominations in this country. And I would point out to you that especially it, after 1947, when, they, when well, yeah, well, supposedly was, a nation of Israel was established. Well, I think that basically that influenced the politics of. Uh, Harry Truman. Oh, we sure. were the first well, uh, nation to recognize Israel being formed. And yeah. and basically, I think... Having the same name does not make it the same country. country. It isn't based on the law of Moses. That country is not. It's not based on the same promises. God never made any promise to the modern nation of Israel in the Bible. Okay, they had, God promised them they would return from captivity, and they did. Okay? They returned from and, Babylon. And then they were... And then he... Jesus said... 
that in Matthew 23, because of the disobedience of the Jews and them crucifying him, your house is left unto you desolate, he says in Matthew 23. So that's what's left. That, that's the prophecy of Jerusalem. Now, men can come in later and rebuild all this stuff, but it still isn't the same country. And the promises made in the prophets about Jerusalem do not apply to modern Israel. Now, I know this is controversial, but uh, God's people today are Christians, be they Jew or Gentile, if that makes any sense. Some people, that doesn't make any sense to, uh, I mean, uh, be they... Well, uh, Paul says in the Galatian letter, you are... Uh, you are ch- you are children of, of Abraham, basically, through Christ. You are heirs according to the promise. Basically, the Christians are, and, and this probably, I would have thought this would have really angered the Jews because he says, you as Christians are children of the what? Free woman, not children of the bondwoman. He actually called the Jews children of the bondwoman, not the wife. Well, because they were not uh, from of the promise as such, because they're still following uh, exactly. the law of Moses and not Christ. Uh, you know, I, I guess we could go to yeah, Galatians. There's whole and million passages. By the way, someone texted in, uh, Jerusalem has USA in it, so it's a miracle. Ha ha. And, <laughs> and you know, that may be a joke, but that I've heard a lot more far-fetched stuff than that from these people. Okay? That the word Jerusalem has uh, uh, the word has USA in it, so somehow it's linked to the United States. I mean, th- these are the kind of things that people come up with all the time, not based on, uh, on actual Bible understanding, but on speculation about difficult and obscure passages. Uh, and it's very frustrating because it, it has a certain appeal to people. People like to know, Gary, what's going to happen in the future. Somehow they feel much more comfortable if they think they can know what's happening in the future. And um, oh, by the way, this gives them some kind of something to hold on to that God's predicting the future of their generation. And we just don't know. By the way, that's Galatians 3, verses 26 through yes. 29. He says, for you are all. This goes back to your, you know, all men are created equal in the sense that God looks at us. All men are created equal. Uh, He says in verse 26 of Galatians 3, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, that's race. There is neither slave nor free, free, that's status. There is neither male nor female, that's gender. You are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's at least one of them. And basically, he talks about there being uh, there, there. There are two Jerusalem's that are spoken of in the Bible. The, the, you know, because I, it's I not all just literal. It's it's, it's, it's not all literal. It's and analogies and met- right. It's, it's, there's symbolism and analogies in it, and and you have to read carefully, which is just basically what I keep saying. The reason Mike and I are trying to give you answers from Scripture is you can't just take one passage and decide to create an entire philosophy around it, uh, much like what uh, premillennialism is not maybe a philosophy, but it's, a, it's an interpretation that's, that's based on just a few passages. If you take the whole thing, you find out, you know, that really can't be. And that's what this show, I think, is really all about, Mike, is we need to look at the entire scripture right. and harmonize it. And, and that's why I keep referring back to this uh, 
Uh, let me see if I could point out and talk for a minute, and I'll find it about the two Jerusalems. Well, um, the two Jerusalems. I can almost take it off the top of my head. It's it's the, it's in uh, it's there where you're looking. But uh, well, there are two references. There's one right. in Hebrews, and there's one in Galatians, and the one in the one in Hebrews actually tells us what the other Jerusalem is. Okay. It's the yeah, church. That's right. Well, you know, um, the, the the modern take on this a little bit. And first, here's the problem. My problem with the whole thing is it gets people sidetracked off of what the main purpose of the gospel is, which is to teach people to become disciples of Jesus Christ and to save yourself from this perverse generation. Okay, which, uh, ironically enough, it was the generation that G- they were living in at that time was a perverse generation. And you say our generation is perverse too. Yeah, there haven't been very many down through time that haven't been. But it was personal salvation by obeying and becoming a disciple and then being made in the image of Jesus Christ, patterning your life after him. This is the purpose of the gospel. And as long as uh, we get sidetracked, whenever we get sidetracked away from that, uh, then the gospel gets hurt by that. And that's what's happened to a lot of Protestant Christianity. Now, G- the passage that's, uh, that what's done with this in, in modern times, uh, Gary, is that people have said well yeah we can't uh, we can't really know the day and the hour but we can know the generation or the time I think that's a complete misinterpretation or misapplication of Jesus statement in Matthew 24 he tells he tells in the first part of that chapter they ask him when's the temple going to be destroyed then when's the end he had they ask about three questions and he tells them the signs of when the temple was going to be destroyed they were standing here looking at it all of those signs were things that happened in the first century. This, that was about the year 32, 33 A.D. that Jesus said these things, somewhere around that time, 30, 32, 33. And by 70 A.D., the Romans had come and literally destroyed that temple stone by stone, uh, dumped it down the mountain, okay? And it's still that way today. And he predicted that. But, but he goes on to say, and he says, you can know this. He tells the Christians that are going to be there then. When you see these things, when you see this abomination of desolation, which is the Roman armies, other passages say that Roman armies gathered, flee. Well, the Jews didn't flee because they didn't believe Jesus' prophecy. Josephus says the Christians fled the city before, when they saw the Romans, they fled the city. And most all the Christians were not killed in the destruction of Jerusalem because they believed the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. Right. Okay? And, and but the Jews were killed. And basically, I think there are two accounts. There's Matthew 24, 23, 24, and 25. That those two broken together kind of give you an end of time relative to the physical Jerusalem and perhaps and now, some, the church. Some people, I kind of split these passages up, but other people I know don't. Uh, but 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 basically, in in Luke 21, he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem in particular, and that's when he said. Very clearly, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, armies. That, that's exactly... That's the, it's the parallel passage of Matthew 24, that's right. And so he says to them, when you see these things, you know that, that it is near at the doors. So they could know when the end of Jerusalem was coming. But people take those passages in the first part of Matthew 24, apply them to the end of time. So when you see uh, this army, get all your stuff out of your house, hope it's, pray that it won't be in winter, if you're, or be, pray that you won't be pregnant because you won't be able to flee Jerusalem. That, that has no bearing on the end of time, yet you see, hear it read about the end of time all the time. Now, now then, he goes on to say, I surely say to you, 
verse 34 of Matthew 24, that this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So he tells them that these things I just told you up to this point are going to happen in this generation of 30, 40 years time. The people that are alive then are going to see these things. Now, what you have now, though, Gary, is you have people coming to your door, Jehovah's Witnesses and others, who, and I've had them tell me this more than once, don't you know the Bible says that this generation will not pass away until all these things are happening? That this, that, don't you know the Bible says that the end of the world is coming upon this generation? And they'll quote this verse. So it's been this generation for every generation since that, Jesus. And that's my point. And, and I look at them and I say, you know, I, I don't, I don't tell you what I think. But then I try to point out to them, this generation, Jesus, when was that said? Ask them, do you know what year that was said? Of course, they don't know what year it was said. Who, who said it? Well, Jesus, well, you know when he said it, what it's about? Well, they don't know. All they know is they've been told to quote this passage, that this generation will not pass away. And people are so gullible that they will think that that means this generation in, in 2020. But that's how it's used by a lot of modern preachers, and I just want to warn our listeners about that. He said, the things I've said to you in the early part of this chapter were going to happen upon the generation that existed that was alive when he spoke those things. It's just like Mark 9.1. People talk about the kingdom coming. You have all these preachers every Sunday and all through the radio and TV telling you the kingdom hasn't come yet. Jesus says, I'm telling you, that there are some of you alive today that will see the kingdom of God come with power. The kingdom of God came while that people... We either got some really old people walking around, right. Gary, or well, he else says the kingdom in, came when they during their lifetime. Well, talking about the kingdom coming okay. with power, he said some standing here will not taste death. That's what I'm saying. That's, the verse, that's yeah. Mark 9. Well, that's the verse I'm referring to. But he goes on to say, but of that day and hour, because they asked more than one question at the beginning. Of this day, he says, you can know because I'm giving you the signs and it's going to happen this generation. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So they read that verse and here's here's the disconnect. They say, well, now, I can know the... um, I can't know the year, but I I I can't know the month or I, I can know the year, and the I can month. know the month, but I can't know no, the, the day, day and the, the hour. It's, but, you know, is that really what Jesus is saying there? No, Do that, you honestly think that's what right. he's trying to get across? That you can figure it out down to the week, but not down to the day and hour? He's making a point. that it, that only my. But they forget the last part. Only my Father knows this. Not even me, he says, know this day. And it day depends on what time. you think he's talking about there. It could be that That verse could well be assigned to the destruction of Jerusalem as well as the end of time. It, we don't know. It's I, possible. Basically, what I, I go back to is is the beginning of Matthew 25 when he talks about all these see, things see, about well, Jerusalem. Well, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that, but go ahead. I'll show you but, why. But, but basically, he comes back to Matthew 25, and he says, after all these things, essentially, then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. And he tells them, be prepared. But, but he goes on to say, after he says, of that day and hour, no one knows. In verse 37, he says, but as the days of Noah were, so will also be the coming of the Son of Man. This is a different coming now, I think, because he well, says, and be the, the same coming. The fl- that was a coming of the Son of Man. Well, so. it was. The destruction of Jerusalem was, was a coming. coming of Son of Man. But this is the, that. Day. Now, go, here's, the, here's the thing, though. As the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. 
until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know the day. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. And so will coming of the Son of Man be. He just told them, you can know when it's going to be. You can know the, you can see the signs. But he says there was no sign except Noah's preaching that the flood was coming. And so they were continuing just like they used to, eating, drinking, and so forth. And the flood came and took them all away. Now, the only other explanation for that is, well, that's because they didn't listen to Noah and these people didn't listen to, to Jesus. But it seems like he's telling them something different here. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Okay. But, but basically, you know, logically that can be applied because of the apocalyptic language to either the coming of Jerusalem or either one. That, but it says he's coming point. an hour you don't expect. Now, but the whole point can they is, expect it or not? If they if they're if they've got the prophetic signs and you can understand them all, and Jesus says it's going to happen to this generation, I think they can know when to expect it. Well, he says when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, flee. That's basically. But he does. But he just told them, watch for. But you he didn't not tell know the hour when he's coming. But he didn't tell them the hour and the day. He just said, okay, generally this is this. It, it's it's just as logical to apply the whole thing to that as it is not to. He's coming at an hour when you do not expect. So here you are prepared. You know he's coming because you've seen the armies around Jerusalem, but we're going to wait because we don't know the hour. He's telling them something is going to happen at a time when they cannot expect it, when they don't know when it is. Not even the Son of Man knows when it is. Basically, at least that's how I see it. Basically, he's telling them, don't wait till the hour. He's saying, you better, you better heed what you Well, there was one now. hour the armies were there, and one hour they won't, weren't there. Well, okay, not... You know, that, Not in that day of time there wasn't. When you saw the armies moving in, they didn't move in in an hour. Well, I'm just, uh, uh, whether a day or a season, yes. I mean, I'm, only, I'm saying this, that there seems to be a disconnect in these two things, and the that's si- why he's saying yeah, siege, you can't know the, it. The siege of Jerusalem, according to Josephus, went for months. But the yeah. armies had to approach. It ca- they came down yeah, from the and north, took, and, and they, didn't, they didn't surround the city until a certain time. Well, basically, when they surrounded the city and built all their siege engines, that was months going on because basically they denuded the whole countryside of the trees. When you see this happening, you need to go. You need to go. So there was a time when they could see it and a time when they didn't see it. There's another interesting passage in Matthew 24 where he says, uh, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and I will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, one of the things you hear with the premillennials is we got wars and rumors of wars going everywhere. It's the end of time. What did Jesus say about it? He says, see that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Those are not the signs of the end. Wars and rumors of wars are not the sign of the end. Those things are going to happen. That's what he's saying. Right. Basically, the premillennials are confusing what Jesus said are the signs and what are not the signs in many cases. Because he says it's not yet. The question is, did he give signs of the end of the world? That's the question. Not whether he gave signs about the destruction of Jerusalem and so forth. And I understand the armies, the invasion of Judea began long before they sieged Jerusalem. But he doesn't tell them, tell them to flee when they see the armies in, in Judea. He tells them to flee when you see them surrounding the city. But but the point is, does he give predictions that we can know when to the end of the world is? I, no, I think he tells you the circumstances yeah. that earth's going to be on fire. I don't think he gives you signs to say this is a this is a sign of the end of the world. And, and one other thing we need to point out: that surrounding of Jerusalem by Roman armies occurred twice. One of them they withdrew. 
you know, you know what happens then. That's my yeah. point about yeah. trying to use even then as a sign, and especially to make this now somehow the end of the world. Um, you know, so so here here we go again. Uh, it's it's without being able to look back. You know, it, it points out your fact that you know the the thing that you stated in the beginning, Mike, that I think is very true, and that what we miss in the interpretation is. Bible prophecy was intended to be able to look back upon and say this is what they were talking about. Yes, that's right. But the, the purpose of some of this is this. For, for, the, for our listeners today, most of our listeners, I'm going to tell you, if, it, if it's like it was last year, it may very well be. The end of the world, as far as you're concerned, is when you die. Because there is a man lives once and then comes the judgment, judgment. for that man. Okay? And you, you're going to be judged by the deeds in, that you've done in the body, whether it be good or bad, for 2 Corinthians chapter you know, 5. By your deeds, you're going to be rewarded. You're going to be judged. Life. So your judgment, your judgment day is when you die. So, now, that, the, the question about the end of the world, what, mat, what does it matter then? Well, that's the statements about the end of the world and God prophesying that that's going to happen are here to tell you something else. They're here to tell you, that all the things that are happening on earth are not accidental. There's a purpose and a plan to them. And that God is going to bring into judgment all the wicked in the world. And he's going to save all the righteous in one final judgment. And all of it's going to be over. The vast majority of humans already have been judged because they already have died by that time. I, I happen to believe the world could go on for a million more years. Maybe God wants that many more people to be saved here. We just don't know. We do not know the answer to that. It's not within our purview. People have been thinking, as I mentioned, that from the whole point of this article, since the beginning of time, since the beginning especially of, of Christ ascending to heaven, they've been expecting him to come back any day now. And he could come back any day now, but he hasn't told us when that's going to be. And the point there is you need to watch and pray because he is coming back. And life does have a purpose. There's an end to all this. It isn't just here by accident. And so uh, uh, he's... He, these are the, this is the point of this prophecy. Not so I can predict when to sell my house and my car and when to put on my white robe. You know, uh, That isn't the point of these things. And so um, this is the deception that's going on in modern Christianity today. Um, that uh, all we can all somehow predict this. And then when people see things like it's been going on with this coronavirus... And then with all of this disorder and disruption, uh, brutality going on in the United States, uh, that I don't know if it's any worse now than it was before, but we, we see this chaos. People think, oh, another sign of the end of the world. Things are worse than they've ever been. I don't think that, that racial division is worse in the United States than it's ever been. I'm not, I'm, not 50, I'm not 20 years old. I've been around a while. You are too, Gary. Right. I don't think racial hatred, it isn't good right now. But I don't think it's worse than it's ever been, okay? And I don't think the disorder in our society is worse than it's ever been. Uh, and, and so I, I don't think death and destruction are worse than they've ever been. We live in one of the best times in the history of the world to be alive. We can be saved and live a long life from almost any kind of illness you can think of. Exactly. And, and other pandemics, uh, other epidemics in history of the world have killed many, many more people than the coronavirus will ever kill. And yet we think because of our own short, short-sighted, myopic 
thinking about history that this is the worst time it's ever been. It isn't. Now, are people more wicked in many ways than they were 50 years ago in the United States? Somewhat. There's a lot of immorality. But there's always been immorality. Does God hate fornication more than he hates covetousness and greed and selfishness? No. But we think because there's homosexual marriage or fornication that somehow that's worse than it's ever been before. When our whole country is eaten up by selfishness and greed. And people are at their wits end because they can't get their toenails done. <laughs> and and you think God approves of all that. Gary, I'm driving down through Palm City. I went out to get some chicken feed the other day. Drive out to Palm City to ranch feed, get chicken feed. And on my way, just I just happened to notice when I passed the Dunkin' Donuts there, somewhere around that in, on US1 and Stewart, I saw it said nail spa. It said uh, foot spa. And then and I told you, I said, my wife, I said, a foot spa. So now we don't have just spas. We have spa, spas dedicated to feet, feet only. And then we went on a few more miles, got to Palm City. There's a, at least one more. I think there might have been two more foot spas. I told my wife, it's kind of curmudgeon I am. What kind of country are we living in when you can make a living just working on women's feet? And probably a lot of men, too. Well, it's a good country in that sense, right? But it's also a decadent one, and one that won't tolerate any kind of discomfort or anything at all. Uh, and so, but this is this somehow is the worst time that's ever been in the history of the world. You got to do more to convince me of that, Gary, than what I'm seeing. When we got foot spas opening up all over little towns like Stewart and Palm City, and what do you think it's like in the big cities in the world, the more sophisticated places? But somehow we've convinced ourselves with reading prophecy and news that this is the worst time in the history of the world and the world's about to end and Jesus predicted this. I don't believe any of that's true. Well, now, one, I, one, now, okay, I'll stop my rant. Okay. Well, Sorry. one of the things that I think we should point out, Mike, that it's very important to understand that the point you made about prophecy in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, is made for us not to predict the future, but to recognize things that have been been in the past. So we can then understand, have faith that God's word is true about things we don't know. Exactly. Yes. And, and it's the misinterpretation of those prophecies, assuming that they are future to us, that has caused a lot of this problem. Yes, it just makes it worse. By and, the way, I have, I have no problem whatsoever with you going to a foot spa or being a dozen foot spas in Palm City. I don't care about that. But you you need to approach you need to approach that with great a great deal of thanksgiving, not of complaining because I couldn't get my toenails done for two months or whatever the case may be. Approach it with thanksgiving to God that you live in a place like this so, and have the resources for that. I'm I'm glad if you've got the money and, and uh, to get your toenails done. It's I, fine with me. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Well, you and but I, I think you shouldn't do that. But. Don't, but keep it in perspective and be grateful for it. You and I are basically, I think, what the United States considered middle-class people from, you know, the beginning of the 19th century. And yet we live with riches and clothing and things that would have been the enemy, envy of Solomon. Exactly. I grew up probably what would be called lower middle class, but I certainly, I've moved beyond that now, I guess. I don't know. But we live... I tell these young ladies, you go, I go stay at different people's houses, you know, preaching and teaching here or there over the years. And, and 
the ladies have more stuff in their bathtub than Cleopatra ever had. Right. We think Cleopatra was some kind of pampered queen. Every girl in the United States has more stuff to pamper themselves with, more hot water, and, and more serpents at their disposal they plug in and turn on and turn off than Cleopatra had. And yet we think we're the most put-upon generation of people that's ever lived. Right. And, and here's what that tells you. Material advancement is not what it takes to make people happy and contented. Material things, prosperity, wealth, comfort, none of those things make people truly happy. The gospel is the only thing that makes people truly contented, whether they have little, as Paul says in Philippians 4, or whether they have much. I've learned to be abased and I've learned to abound. In all things he gave thanks and rejoiced. That's the point I'm making. And so don't let this pro- these prophecies, these misinterpreted prophecies, throw you off in a downward spiral and somehow that this is the end of the world. Uh, God will bless us if we serve him. Sometimes he blesses when we don't serve him. And humans, by his blessing and providence, will figure out how to solve a lot of these problems, including the coronavirus, over time. Well, as we and, accumulate and we these things. we will keep going. And the real message is, watch and pray, for you know not the hour when the Lord is coming. Solomon even pointed out in Ecclesiastes, I believe, and I believe Solomon was the writer of Ecclesiastes. Now, some people may argue. But basically, he says, what, what's going to happen to all of the things that you possess when you die? Are you going to take them with you when you die? And, and of course, everybody says, well, no, you can't take it with you. Uh, I think Jack Benny was the only one that argued with that in, in a humorous fashion. But I, I think some people actually think they might be able to take it with them. But I'm going to tell you something that the Bible says you will take with you will take with you your memories. Yes. And in the parable about the uh, rich man and Lazarus, uh, apparently Abraham, he's talking to Abraham or one of the characters within that. I don't remember exactly, Mike. You may have to help me with this. But that character tells him to remember how he this had... This Luke it. 16, yeah. Abraham and tells the rich man, man remember, son, remember... Remember what you had here on earth. He, when you leave this earth, now that, that should be kind of a frightening experience to us, or a frightening thought to us. No matter where you are, heaven or hell, you're going to remember what you've done here on earth. You know, that should yeah. give us pause, Mike. I really think it should give us pause. It should make us want to do things right and do things properly and, and consider others the character of a Christian is is when you consider a Christian and that and I know there are a lot of Christians that try to live it but can't and 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 of course the media likes to really trap you when you fail at being a Christian and point out you know saying you're a hypocrite uh, you're no hypocrite like they are but basically what you need to do is try to have that character of a Christian because think of how comforting, Mike, it would be to look back on your life and say, I lived it the way God said I should. Right. Well, he's going to say, come your faithful servant, enter into the joy prepared to you from the foundation of the world. Right. So, so and, and well, by the way, as a side point, a hypocrite is not a Christian who does something wrong. Everybody does things that are wrong. A hypocrite is someone who is pretending to be a good person when they're not. They're using their goodness as a shield to hide behind so they can do what they want to do. And there are hypocrites both 
outside of the church and in the church. They're the greatest enemy that the Church of Jesus Christ has are phonies, people that pretend to be good when they have no intention of really being good, and, and they use their goodness as then their cover or their shield. And, and so, but a Christian, it's not a hypocrite when you're trying to do what you, what's right sincerely and you, all, and you fail to live up to those things. It happens to all of us. That's, that's not the phony that Jesus is talking about. That's not the pretender. That's just a sinner. And we all need forgiveness from those things. Now, I'm not going to make any excuse because I've known a few hypocrites in the church who were phonies pretending to be one thing and hoping that people didn't notice what they really were. But they had no real intention of ever doing better. But I think that I think that's one of the ter- I think that's one of the terrors and the pains of hell, is being able to remember where you could have gone you right. What, and you remember what could have happened to you. You remember right. where you could have done right and didn't. How many people regret things that they have done today? I think the regret in in hell is going to be a lot greater than anything that we do here on this earth. Yes. That the fact that we are going to take beyond this life our memories. Is something we rarely think about, but is, I believe, so important. Well, the 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 um, the, the man, the um, what am I trying to say? In Luke 16, where Jesus tells this, it's not a parable; it's a story of the rich man and Lazarus. Right. No other parable is somebody named like that. Um, As a matter of fact, he, he says at the opening, "This basically this happened." I'm going to recount a, this to you. Right. So uh, it's it's not like the parables where he's given an example. Right. This man is certainly conscious after his death. He's conscious enough to know I have five brothers back home, and they might come here. I don't want my brothers to come here. Go send Lazarus and warn them not to come here. Warn them to change while they're on the earth. And Abraham says, "What? he didn't say this. I'm going to say this. You're so selfish that you want me to take Lazarus out of comfort in paradise, send him back to the earth to tell your brother something. He still only thinks of Lazarus as his little lap dog and servant. Even in eternity he thinks this. But Abraham says, no, there's a great gulf fixed. Can't go. Can't cross across here. I'm not sending him back. He says to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. The one we're supposed to be listening to are not voices from the dead or the voices of the dead, but the scriptures. Okay. Now, who would he say that to someone today? He would, he say, would say what? Listen they to have, the words of Jesus Christ. Listen they to the words. What did Jesus said? The words that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Right. Listen to the word. You have Jesus and the apostles. That would be the paraphrase that I would make. You have Jesus and the apostles. Hear them. Hear them. That's right, uh, because that they we have a they're warning us to go. And what you see then in this man that's pictured here in torment after death, this holding place before the final judgment. I don't believe it's hell. That's another whole show. We see his regret over his life. My life is wasted. I don't. I see that re- end result of my life is this. I regret that. I don't want my brothers to come here. Go tell them something. Well, so you know, this is this is where you're going to be. I have people have said, well, I'd rather have fun in hell than sing songs in heaven. And I'm going to go to hell because that's where all my friends are going to be. They won't be singing that tune on the other side. Whatever you consider this, whether you consider it the ultimate hell or whether you consider it, he is obviously in torment. 
Well, I'm, yes, I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm saying I just think there's it's a it's a state that's uh, not. Uh, but Mike, I've, enc- I've encountered. There, there's no changing that state. He's going to be in torment forever from that point on. But Mike, I've encountered people who, when confronted with the gospel plan of salvation, as you know, much like what we presented last week in the scriptures of things that we have to do. And I've had people tell me, well, but if I do that, you know, I'm condemning my parents or my grandparents to hell because they didn't do this. All I would say is if your, grand, if your parents and your grandparents are in torment, they don't want you coming there. Right. They, are, they would, if they could come back, just like this man who was thinking of his brothers, they would tell you, listen. Yes. Don't don't do what I've done. Don't do what I have done. Because and and the thing is, you know, they we we receive the deeds done in the body, whether it be good or evil, and that's what happened here. I don't think that this is some kind of torment forced upon God, on on men because God is wicked and just likes to torture people. The punishment and the pain that this man was feeling is the is the natural result of his own life, because his own life separated him from God. It's, it, created, it created that gulf between him and what was good and right and wholesome, which he needed. We need to, the comfort of God. We need God's presence in our life. We, could, we get some of it because God sends his rain on the just and the unjust in this world. But there's a world coming. We're going to be separated by a great gulf from that which is good and wholesome and right and life-giving. And that's why the pain starts because we need these things that God provides. We won't have them. All that's left is the pain and regret. And I think people, well, the Bible, our time is almost gone, Gary, but the Bible says at some point every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him as Lord, Philippians 2. That means that, that those who are lost at the end of time are not going to be raging atheists, unbelievers, angry with God. They're going to be people that will see the truth of what's here and they will be confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's too late. And they'll find themselves without God's aid and comfort because they've rejected him. And they'll find their place, it says, not only will they be there in that place of torment, but the devil and his angels will be there because it's a place prepared for them. And they'll find themselves there. So what C.S. Lewis says about this is that eventually God gives everybody what they want. If you don't want God in your life, you don't want God telling you what to do, God's finally going to say, okay, have it your way. I'm going to leave you alone. I'm going, God, separa- I'm going to separate myself. I'm going to separate myself. myself. I'll leave you alone. And my friend, that's the worst punishment you could ever endure is to have God completely removed from your life because you share so many blessings from God right now, even in the worst of your life, you share God's blessing. Well, we got about a minute left, Gary. I'll well, give you 10 seconds to summarize what you want to say that we're going to close Well, basically, I'm going to say that we would do the same thing. We want to put away from us people that try to uh, destroy us or, or you know, kill us or do whatever we will or rebel. So God is not saying, you know, I, I really want to punish you. I'm just, I've got to put you away because you're rebellious. I can't afford to have you with me. Right. Well, we appreciate you listening today. Thanks for tuning in to We Are Just Christians. Hope you'll tune in again next week at, t- at 9 o'clock Sunday morning. Hope you'll take a look at our website, We Are Just Christians. Com. So until next week, may God bless you. Open my cup, let it overflow. Open my cup.